This message by Jeff Hodgson was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jeff serves as a pastor and bivocational elder at Cornerstone Church. Good morning, everyone. Who is ready for a quiz? What significant day on the church calendar happened this past week? And when I say church, I don't mean just little old Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, but rather the churches around the world that observe a liturgical calendar. So the answer I'm looking for isn't that we had a leader's retreat or that our beloved Tommy Hill had another birthday. Anyone? I believe... Good, good, yep. I believe the nice lady on the front row over here said it was Epiphany this past Friday. Well done, nice lady on the front row. If you're not familiar with Epiphany, it's the feast day which recognizes Jesus being met by the Magi from the East, as recounted in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born and celebrated by Mary, Joseph, angels, and the shepherds, God incarnate was made known for the first time to Gentiles as well. We know the story of the Magi who followed the mysterious star, but do we appreciate how significant that is to us Gentiles? Kind of a big deal. So very appropriate then for us to look at Psalm 119 today, because it is a psalm that celebrates God having made himself known to the psalmist. It's the joyous song of a man who is in communion with God. Now, I'm not going to be reading all of Psalm 119 today. Maybe you came this morning knowing we were going to do Psalm 119, and you are now rejoicing at hearing that. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, longer than some entire books. So probably best to leave reading the whole thing to you in your quiet times. What I will do along the way, however, is highlight a number of verses that speak to some of the things racing through the psalmist's mind as he considers the Lord. Things that come from his gripping, comforting, strengthening communion with God. He has found communion with God, and it fills his thoughts. So what an amazing thing to be ministered to by Almighty God this morning as we consider his gracious word and consider communion with him. Let's pray to that end. Gracious God, thank you that you have revealed yourself to your children. Thank you that you had mercy upon us. Thank you that you meet us time and again. Oh Lord, fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our mouths with praise for you. Because you are kind and gracious and good to us. All glory be to you. May 
the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths always be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. We respond differently to different kinds of encounters in life, don't we? Some encounters, like a friendly exchange at the grocery store, may leave us fairly well unaffected, but others are different. Some encounters change us. Now, some different kinds of encounters with the Lord affect people differently as well, and the Bible is full of these different kinds of encounters and the effect they had on the people involved. And some of them are pretty dramatic. Here, Isaiah's prophetic encounter with God in the heavenly throne room. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. A person's encountered with the glorified Lord would be so overwhelming that it might make him despair, being so aware of his sin and unworthiness to be in a holy God's presence. Woe to me indeed. In another encounter, Peter, James, and John were brought to the mountain and giving, given a glimpse of Jesus glorified. The results were also stupefying to them. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. What would you do if you encountered God glorified? Maybe you'd be brought to an absolute end of yourself like Isaiah. Maybe you'd say something goofy like Peter. Lord, this is so great. We should go camping. We love Peter, don't we? Because 
He helps us when we say dumb things. Perhaps your present encounters with God are a little less intense or dramatic than Isaiah's and the disciples. But listen, I argue that they are no less significant. The question really is whether we see them for how significant they truly are. The experience many of us have with our communion with God can seem sporadic, maybe distracted by the busyness and cares of this life, or even at times discouraging when he doesn't answer our prayers like we would like for him to. But I think we can hope for an experience of communion far better than that. So what should we hope for or even expect in our communion with God? What would it sound like if you were walking through this life in this kind of vibrant communion with the Lord like the psalmist is going to share? When the Lord reveals himself to us, what aspects of the perfection of his character might we learn and experience? And then what kinds of things might you say in response? The writer of Psalm 119 has recorded his thoughts and shared his words of wonder at these perfections of God's character. He has seen the perfect love of God displayed in the ways in which he has been saved. God's perfect wisdom in the ways he has been led and instructed, and God's perfect power in the ways that he has been upheld. He has encountered God, and this is his song. The wonderful lesson for us today is that the Lord intends for this to be our song as well. That's why God included it in the Bible. If you are in Christ, you are the redeemed people of God, invited to experience God. So I think the main point for today is that because God reveals himself to us, we have a joyous song to sing. So let's hear the psalmist celebrate his experience of God's perfection. First, his perfect love. Second, his perfect wisdom. And third, his perfect power. And see if they don't map onto our lives as well and stir in us a new song. We begin with God's perfect love because it's the basis for all of our interactions with God. Apart from God's love, what hope could we have? First point, God is perfect in love. So first, we'll start at the beginning, verse 1. We're going to consider it a bit more deeply than the others we'll read along the way because it is the basis for all we will discuss. Verse 1 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. 
Now listen, we need to get verse 1 right. Because verse 1 is a statement about identity. There are certain people whose identity is blessed. This isn't the same as saying that someone has been lucky in life. It isn't the same as saying that someone has had it easy. It's saying who they are. Now, how is this so? Well, let's think this through. First of all, it cannot be a performance statement because can the psalmist actually say that his way is blameless? Has anyone lived perfectly according to God's law? Has anyone never sinned? No one can say this about themselves with integrity. But get this. God can declare it to be how he views a person. We can be called blameless and reconciled to a holy God if something amazing has happened. If we have been reconciled to a holy God, God takes away from us the guilt and the shame of our sin. So it's not about our performance. It's about his performance. And we can't get that wrong. All of us have broken the law of God. We are guilty. All of us have been stained by the things we have done and the things done to us. We are ashamed of our performance. But in the gospel, God has fixed all that. He sent his son to live the perfect life we could not live. And to suffer the penalty for our sins that we could not pay. Because of the love of God, the father credits the blamelessness of the son as ours. He counts us as in him. He gives us a new identity. He views us as being righteous. He has saved us. He has loved us. As far as the Lord is concerned because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 1 is ours to proclaim. We are those people called blessed because we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are walking in the law of the Lord. So verse 1, not a human performance statement. It must be an identity in the love and mercy of God kind of statement. Because of the love of God, he has reconciled himself to us. He has given us himself that we may be in communion with him. He has provided to us the treasure in the field. He has welcomed us into the kingdom. What love, what mercy. Knowing this is the meaning of being blessed. So here's some of the things the psalmist says because he finds himself in God's immense 
love. These are some verses from Psalm 119. The psalmist says, You have made me hope. The Lord is my portion. You have dealt well with your servant. I am yours. You are near, O Lord. My lips will pour forth praise. My tongue will sing of your word. These are the words of one who has been loved. When are those times in our lives when we're most aware of being loved? Are they not those times when someone has gone out of his or her way to truly do us good? Someone has given of himself or herself for my benefit. Someone saved me and made me hope for a future that's possible. What if, like the diligent and powerful Savior that he is, the Lord held you by the hand and snatched you from the dangers of this life? When my son was a little boy... He and I were crossing the road at an intersection. And as we neared the middle of the, the lane, a truck turned quickly at the intersection to beat oncoming traffic and was heading very fast toward us. The driver apparently never looked where he was turning and never saw us. I yanked my son up off the ground and leaped with him out of the way of the truck. And later he said, I was walking and then I was flying. <laughs> what if we were more aware of our Heavenly Father's watchful and protective care and his strong and safe grip on our hands that snatched us from destruction and now preserves us to this day? I'm nearing the end of my sixth decade in this earthly life. How many of you would join me in asking, how did I make it this long? <laughs> the Lord has numbered our days, and he keeps and sustains us through them all. Our blessedness means we have hope. We have God's promises that give us life, and we have access to God. He is our portion. He does good to us. We are his, and we have a song to sing. If we immerse ourselves in the amazing story of God's love toward us, we have indeed a great song. He's loved us. He saved us, and he hasn't left us on our own. He now takes the rest of our lives to guide us, to teach us, and to grow us, especially as he meets us, teaching us through his word. So second point, God is perfect in his wisdom. Most of us have played some sort of game in our life, whether it be a team sport like soccer or something more individual like chess or checkers. And what makes competing in these things possible and enjoyable? Well, the rules. This is how the game is played. Everyone playing soccer uh, knows that only the goalie can touch the ball with his, with his or her hands while it's in play. 
And if players decided that they would rather pick up the ball and crash through the goalie into the net like some kind of real football uh, running back, it quits being a soccer game, doesn't it? And beyond the rules, there are strategies and techniques to learn along the way that make us better players, that make it more enjoyable. I remember when my kids were little and they started playing soccer. And what do all little kid uh, soccer teams do? They all mass together around the ball in a big blob and nothing happens. But if Coach Sexton comes along and teaches them that spreading out and staying spread out makes passing around and through the defenders possible, then soccer starts getting more interesting at least as interesting as soccer can be. (laughs) Our lives take on meaning and beauty and enjoyment and interestingness when they are aligned with the rules of the one who created life. Apart from his idea of how the game is played, things get weird. So what if, like an insightful and trusted counselor, the Lord sat with you and talked you through this often bewildering thing we call life? He explained the rules, how it all works. I love teachers. My father's career was as an engineering professor up at UT. I'm still amazed by the things that he taught me and his countless students along the way. And I'm amazed by his patience with me as he tried to teach me calculus. The Lord has all of life's answers. And he is the most patient and wonderful teacher. Are we paying attention to the lessons he's sending our way? And crucially, are we paying attention that he is with us on our way. The calculus wasn't the only thing about those times that I remember when I was a student. Being with my dad was the most important part of those times. What God has given us in the scriptures, which the psalmist calls God's law and testimony and rule and commandment and word, He's given us himself, as well as how he's designed things to work best, his way. Haven't we had those occasions when we were especially aware that we were walking in step with the Lord and his ways? It's a good feeling. And even if it had been in the midst of a difficult trial, wasn't there a satisfaction Wasn't there a peace? Wasn't there a joy that came with doing things his way? Is there not a profound sense of rightness when we can say, by your grace, Lord, I believe I'm following what you've called me to do? Our psalmist seems to have that sense. Here are some of his reactions to immersing himself in God's word. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. 
My hope is in your rules. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. The sum of your word is truth. The psalmist has encountered the living God and has heard his voice guiding him through the pages of Scripture. We whom God has had mercy upon have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can read and believe God's Word and hear His voice in it. We can see His truth that makes sense of all the complexities of this life. We see in God's Word the unfolding of all of redemptive history. And we have hope for the promises of the future. We have a patient teacher who shows us his ways so that we aren't playing this game not knowing the rules. And knowing the Lord's rules, his commandments, his testimonies, sets us free to live lives of meaning and joy. So first, there is no greater love than that displayed by God in the coming of the Savior to live and die as one of us so that we might be reconciled to God. And second, there is no greater wisdom than that revealed by God, turning the wisdom of the world upside down and showing us the riches of his heart and mind and how life in the kingdom should be. But we have enemies and we have obstacles that stand in the way of our laying hold of that abundant life. Is there something or someone who can overcome Is there a power to help us? Because we can't seem to do it on our own. So thirdly, let's think about God's perfect power and hear the psalmist proclaim it. A striking aspect of the psalms is how often they refer to the dangers and the enemies that we face who would harm us. In fact, The Psalms deal with that issue more than any other. In our own lives, if you added up all the dangers, toils, and snares that you've already faced and thought, what if I piled up all those difficulties in front of me yet to endure? Would I have the courage and the strength to face them all? And yet, the Lord has carried you through everything that you've faced. Are we consciously aware of just how much he has helped us throughout our lives? The wonderful, comforting news for us is that God is perfectly powerful and is able to save us to the uttermost, even from the enemies that would destroy us. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. 
hear our friend the psalmist, whose life wasn't a rose garden of comfort and ease. His song is full of recounting difficult things. He writes, Take me away from scorn and contempt. My soul clings to the dust. My soul melts away for sorrow. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent smear me with lies. How long must your servant endure? If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord. Hold me up that I may be safe. Trouble and anguish have found me out. Look on my affliction and deliver me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. God's word doesn't shrink from the reality that this life is full of trials and tribulations. There are wicked people. There are diseases and there is death. There are dangers to our security and safety all around. So what trials are you most aware of today? Are there people who are threatening you or acting in a way that's causing you trouble or heartache? Are you weighed down by grief because of the hard things you face? Loss, disappointment, unrealized hopes and dreams? Are you burdened by problems with your health or the health of loved ones? Or are you at that point in your life when you begin to take stock of how you've lived and you find yourself more aware of your shortcomings and failures? Well, what if, like your dearest and most intimate friend, the Lord came to you in your suffering and fear and anxiety and discouragement and heard you and comforted you and strengthened you to stand like no one else could. How many times have we experienced a peace that surpasses the world's understanding in the midst of our trials? His word to us time and again is, Fear not, for I am with you. With every enemy and threat that you face, The answer is the Lord is at hand. As difficult as this life can be at times, the story ultimately ends well for the children of the Lord of hosts. The power that created and sustains everything, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same power at work defending and keeping you. What hope? Our friend, the psalmist, was a man like us. He faced life with its joys and questions and challenges, and he looked for explanations for the things he experienced. And in his kindness, 
the Lord revealed to him himself and these three things. And the salvation and communion the psalmist enjoyed, he recognized the love of God. As the Lord revealed more and more of his own character to him in the word of his law, the psalmist reveled in what he read. He heard the Lord speaking to him personally and specifically, and God's command and revelations only grew more wonderful in his eyes. In the guidance and instructed the Lord availed to him, he experienced true wisdom. The Lord answered his questions and refuted the false claims of the world. In his immersion into God's word, he glimpsed a marvelous treasure that even to this day he is still enthralled with. Thousands of years since he lived, he has been with the Lord, never being disappointed with what he's finding out. For all of eternity, more and more wonderful things will be revealed to him. That's what we have to look forward to. We will never exhaust the infinite beauty and majesty of the Lord. And every time we open our Bibles and behold wondrous things, we're only getting a sneak peek. In the protection and provision the Lord afforded him, he met a power that overcame all his fears and the threats he faced. Enemies abounded for him, but he was able to live his life in contentment and courage, not because of his grit or willpower, but because he knew the mighty arm of the Lord was with him. The Lord's word promised him help in times of need. It was in those promises he hoped, and in their fulfillment he enjoyed. Even to the end of his earthly life, this man had a song that he sang. A song that reminded him of the God he loved and served. The God who walked with him and spoke to him and befriended him. He didn't experience the throne room and exalted Christ like Isaiah did. He didn't witness Jesus being transfigured before his eyes. No, his life was more ordinary. And yet, because he experienced the Lord, it was extraordinary. So much so, it was worthy of this wonderful psalm, this song of praise. And while we might not expect to have the same experiences as Isaiah, Peter, James, and John, I believe Psalm 119 was given to us so that we might be envisioned for communion with the Lord, like the psalmist celebrated. The Lord is eager to bless his children with himself. He is eager to enthrall us with the truth of his perfect love, wisdom, and power. Commune with him. Immerse yourself in prayer and in his revealed word. Look around everywhere in your life for the evidence that God is near and is at work. Listen as he reveals the wonders of his character and the steadfast love and wisdom that he gives. Pay attention 
to the still, small voice that's saying to you throughout your day, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your God, and I will carry you through every trial and tribulation, and I am growing you into the image of my Son. When we immerse ourselves in this communion, when we live our lives aware of the Lord's nearness and favor, the fruit is a life of meaning, significance, joy, and courage. Glory for our Heavenly Father and a joyous song for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what mercy to reveal yourself to us. What mercy to show us your great love in saving us. What mercy in showing us your great wisdom so that we may know you and know what you're about and know where we fit in that great story of redemption. What mercy in revealing to us your power, Lord, that we may have hope against all the threats that we face. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you intend to use us in this life for your glory. May it be so. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Jeff Hodgson during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.